Welcome to the Sovereign Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Arzu Babri. In this community, we embark on a journey towards self-discovery in order to reclaim our sovereignty and live a life rich in connection, meaning, and purpose. Welcome back, friends, and happy fall for all of you who live in the Northern Hemisphere, which I know is a favorite season for a lot of people, probably because of the fact that it represents everything that's warm and cozy. So I hope that all of you are transitioning beautifully into this new season. In today's episode, we are talking all about depression, not only because mental health conditions as a whole are on the rise globally, but also because I find that most of the information that is accessible to the general public on various mental health conditions is very one-dimensional and outdated. And because of this, the vast majority of people are in this perpetual state of feeling trapped and a victim of their circumstances. Now, just to give you guys an idea of statistics, according to the World Health Organization, it's estimated that 5% of adults suffer from depression globally, which is equivalent to about 400 million people. And depression is also a leading cause of disability worldwide. And it's approximated that 8% of adults will experience major depression at some point in their lives. And just based on those statistics alone, some of you may be thinking, well, that's still a pretty small percentage, but if you pay close attention, the data is referring to major depression. And I think it's very important to go over what the requirements are to be diagnosed with major depressive disorder, because you may actually be quite surprised. So just as a heads up, all of the symptoms that I will be covering will be listed for you guys in the show notes. So you don't have to take any notes on them and you can refer to them at any point that you like. Now, according to the DSM-5 criteria, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, for a diagnosis of major depressive disorder, someone must have five or more of the following symptoms, which include depressed mood, decreased interest in activities, weight loss or weight gain, which is often accompanied by changes in appetite as well, trouble sleeping, which can include insomnia or hypersomnia, so that's either difficulty falling asleep or sleeping too much, feeling restless or feeling slowed down. So this can look like an inability to sit still, pacing or slowed movements in speech, fatigue or loss of energy, feeling worthless or excessive or inappropriate guilt, a diminished ability to concentrate or indecisiveness, and recurrent thoughts of death and suicide. Now, five or more of these symptoms have to be present during the same two-week period, and at least one of the symptoms should be either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. So just with that, you can see that simply feeling depressed isn't enough to warrant a diagnosis of major depression according to this diagnostic criteria. Now, the DSM-5 also has a diagnostic criteria for something called dysthymic disorder, which is considered to be a much milder form of depression, also known as persistent depressive disorder. So the criteria for dysthymia is while feeling depressed, a patient must have two or more of the following, which include poor appetite or overeating, insomnia or hypersomnia, low energy or fatigue, low self-esteem, poor concentration or difficulty making decisions, and feelings of hopelessness, all of which need to be present for two years or more. Now, in my opinion, two weeks is way too long to be experiencing any of the symptoms that we covered for major depressive disorder, let alone two years for the symptoms of dysthymia. 
And I'm sure most of you can agree that neither of these presentations happens overnight. There's always a gradual buildup until we eventually get to the point where an emotional state is now pouring into multiple aspects of our lives and impacting our overall quality of life. So I personally feel like we are waiting way too long to intervene or even make a diagnosis because if someone feels trapped in a pattern of depressed mood for longer than a week, we should be raising a red flag. And to disregard this because it doesn't fit the diagnostic criteria is a recipe for disaster because we're pushing people to the point of no return. Because after two years of dealing with a consistent emotional state, you can be sure that this feeling or emotion has become an accepted part of a person's life. And at this point, it's no longer a feeling or an emotion, but an established, solidified form of existence. So just based on this diagnostic criteria, you can see why the statistics are sitting at 8%. And in my opinion, if someone is experiencing a significant emotional state that they can't seem to overcome and it's impacting their well-being, even for a short period of time, we should be intervening. And I say this because experiencing episodes of anxiety and depression are a completely normal part of the human experience. The key here is that they are episodes and they're short-lived and temporary with a swift ability to bounce back from these unexpected life circumstances. However, these sorts of things become pathological when they begin to seep into other areas of our lives and cast a shadow on our day-to-day existence. Now, I believe that depression should always be treated as a symptom of an underlying dysfunction within the body because this mindset forces us to continue to investigate the concern until we find the root cause, which can be physiological, which involves the physical body. It can be mental emotional, which involves the mind, or it can be spiritual, which involves the soul. And so for the next segment of this episode, I want to cover some examples from each of these categories, just to give you guys an idea of what I mean as depression being a symptom of something more deeply rooted. So from the standpoint of the physical body, depression can be a symptom of the following condition. So it can have a neurological cause, which includes post-concussion syndrome, multiple sclerosis, subdural hematomas, epilepsy, Parkinson's disease, and Alzheimer's disease. It can be a symptom of endocrine disorders, including diabetes, thyroid disorders, and adrenal dysfunction. It can be metabolic in nature, which can include hypercalcemia or hyponaturemia. And it can also be a symptom of certain medications and substance abuse, including steroids, antihypertensives, anticonvulsants, antibiotics, sedatives, hypnotics, alcohol, and stimulant withdrawal. Depression can also very commonly be a sign of nutritional deficiencies, such as vitamin D, certain B vitamins, iron, zinc, or omega-3 fatty acids. And on the same note, it can also be a sign of nutrient toxicities because certain nutrients can actually build up to toxic levels with within the body. And this often includes vitamin D, calcium, copper, selenium, and NAC toxicity. Depression is also a very common symptom of certain infections. And when I get into this next part, this will make sense. So this can include bacterial, viral, or parasitic infections. It can also be a sign of anemia, chronic fatigue syndrome, neurotoxicity, sleep disorders, and malignancies. Now, from a functional medicine and more holistic approach to health, depression has been treated with a more root cause approach for centuries. And most recently, the research is finally starting to catch up because as some of you may be aware, 
conventionally major depressive disorder was considered to be mainly due to abnormalities in neurotransmitters, especially serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. And this is why the first line therapy for depression is a class of medication known as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, so this is the SSRI group, which as the name implies, block the uptake of serotonin, which results in increased serotonin activity in the brain. So common SSRIs include fluoxetine, which is Prozac, sertraline, citalopram, and esitalopram. And then the next class of drugs would be SNRIs, and then serotonin modulators, and atypical antidepressants as well. Now, most recently, a systemic umbrella review published this year concluded with the following statement. So, quote, This review suggests that the huge research effort based on the serotonin hypothesis has not produced convincing evidence of a biochemical basis to depression. This is consistent with research on many other biological markers. We suggest it is time to acknowledge that the serotonin theory of depression is not empirically substantiated. So just to give you guys an idea in terms of hierarchy, A systemic review along with a meta-analysis are the top of the tier level of scientific evidence. And of that, umbrella reviews are at the very top of that tier as well. So on average, it takes a few years to complete a research study and have it be approved for publishing. And this particular review that I'm referencing Um, only included in their review the research papers that were directly linked to depression and serotonin. So for someone like myself who has dedicated their entire life to understanding the art of healing in terms of root cause approach, individualized care, and pathophysiology, and the biochemistry of disease, it's very exciting to see this type of information finally being published and brought to the forefront. But I do understand that it can be very challenging as a concept to accept if you have spent your entire life believing in something that is now being shown to be insubstantial. And I do encourage you guys to look into the research for yourself. And so I will definitely leave the reference for this particular paper in the show notes for those of you who are interested. So to wrap up on this point on the serotonin theory of depression, if it was completely accurate, then most people should be feeling significantly better on antidepressants and not requiring higher and higher doses while simultaneously reporting that they don't really feel any difference. And I know that everyone responds to various interdimensions differently and everyone is entitled to their stance. So it may take some time for people to open their minds up to various explanations in terms of what may be potentially happening or at the root of various mental health conditions. So on that same note, just to give you guys an overview, the majority of studies that are now being published are linking depression to imbalances within the gut microbiota, neuroinflammation, and HPA access dysregulation, which causes secondary disturbances of neurotransmitter systems, including GABA, glutamate, glycine, and serotonin, which are actually primarily made in the gut. And another really cool correlation that the studies are making is the connection between inflammatory diseases and depression and that higher rates of depression are seen in conditions like allergies, autoimmune disease, diabetes, infections, and inflammatory bowel disease, just to name a few. So that was just a brief overview of some of the physiological causes of depression. Moving 
on to the mental emotional components. Depression can be a result of situational causes, which often include a loss of a job, financial issues, family or relationship concerns, serious or chronic physical and mental health concerns, worries about the future, and so on and so forth. So really it boils down to an unwanted change within our environment or our own self-constructed narrative about the world. So certain life events appear to be more potent triggers of depression, and these often include some sort of a loss, such as a death, divorce, breakup, separation, or even threats of a separation as well. Now, chronic stress may also amplify the impact of stressful life events, especially if there is a repeated theme. So for example, people who experience longstanding difficulties within their marriage or relationships can tend to be more vulnerable to experiencing depression following a conflict with their spouse or partner. And additionally, those with a history of depression are more likely to become depressed following other minor life events. So what this is highlighting is the compounding effect of stress, which is often very strongly linked to HPA access dysregulation that I covered in my episode on burnout. Another predisposing factor to depression is early adversity. So this includes early loss, childhood abuse, mental health conditions within the family, and also childhood neglect, all of which can make certain individuals more vulnerable to depression when they are faced with less severe stressors later on in life. And there's also something known as the stress generation hypothesis, which shows that the relationship between stress and depression is bidirectional and that not only can stress result in depression, but depressed individuals um, and individuals with a history of depression can behave in ways that generates stress, which creates this vicious cycle and then heightened depression over time. And I also believe that Another huge contributing factor to the rise in depression is actually the way in which the structure of our society has changed and that a lot of traditional values that created a sense of cohesiveness in society have been lost. And as a result, we have a very disconnected society with a skewed sense of values. Now, moving on to the psycho-spiritual causes of depression, the key underlying cause of depression from a spiritual perspective is disconnection from your spirit. And if you guys remember back to episode one, I referred to the spirit as being the purest part of the self that is connected to a higher power. So depending on your belief system, this higher power is God, source, or creator. And by extension, this connects you to the rest of the universe. Now, being disconnected from this aspect of self results in a type of suffering that seems to have no cure, because unfortunately, as a result of this disconnection, you have become trapped by the 3D world, feeling a lack of meaning, purpose, and true sense of freedom, all of which creates an identity crisis because you're always superficially searching for who you are and the meaning of life. And another key element of this lack of connection to your spirit is a blocked heart, which is the hub for spiritual realization. And if you guys remember back to my episode on the heart, I talked about how you can have sight with your physical eyes, but maybe lacking spiritual insight due to a blinded heart. So you may be searching for answers with your physical eyes that can only be answered through divine inspiration. 
and also a blocked heart actually blocks joy because joy is a frequency that is experienced through the heart. Now with all of these categories in mind, you can begin to see that a holistic whole human approach to healing involves an unraveling of the whole story that makes you, you. And that a physical symptom within the body is just the tip of the iceberg that can always be traced deeper and deeper until we discover your inner reality and the reality of your soul. And the reason why Western medicine is so hyper-focused on the mind when it comes to things such as anxiety and depression is because our cognitive state is right beneath the surface. And it's much easier for some people to pinpoint certain thoughts that are linked to their behavior and overall mood. But beneath the mind is our emotional health, which takes us into the subconscious mind and is often closely linked to our childhood stories and upbringings. And then even further beneath the surface is our spiritual state that can be the source of it all in some cases, actually, but more difficult to get to unless you are taking this whole human approach and not fixating on the limited nature of the mind. So the reason why many individuals feel completely debilitated by their state of depression is because humanity has lost touch with the true meaning of healing. People aren't well equipped on how to regulate their nervous system, how to overcome challenges, how to get to the root of a condition. And most of the time, the reason why some spiral into deeper and deeper states of depression is because they are having an emotional reaction to the initial emotion that keeps the cycle going and creates a mental battle within, within the self and the emotion itself. And what I mean by this is that it's often your reaction to sadness that transforms sadness from a passing emotion to a persistent state. So you can see here, the issue isn't the emotion itself because emotions are a normal part of the human experience. The problem is how you react to the emotion. You can't expect to get rid of an emotion while simultaneously fighting with it. And oftentimes what happens is that in this type of a situation, the initial emotion that you're having, so whether that's sadness or a sense of unhappiness, begins to trigger old patterns and past thoughts and memories connected with that emotion. So the unhappiness you feel is bringing to the surface your feelings of inadequacy, self-loathing, and lack. And you may begin to ask questions like, what's wrong with me? Why am I reacting like this? And why can't I get over this situation? And this is the problem with trying to solve something with the mind because your mind will bring up your deficiencies and perhaps constantly give you ideas about what you need to do about them. So you become hyper-focused on this what's wrong with me statement and how you can potentially fix it. And then additionally, when you begin to spiral through these thoughts, you will often compare how you are feeling currently to how you want to feel instead, which creates a gap that in turn takes you further away from how you want to feel in the first place. So with that, I want to spend the last few minutes of this episode talking about some very basic first steps that you guys can implement into your life to help move past emotional states like depression. So first and foremost, as you guys saw, there are many underlying causes of depression. So getting to the root cause can look very different for everyone. So I do recommend working with a professional that you trust who can help you unravel your unique story. And what I like to do with my patients in particular is move through the various aspects of self and see how far we can trace the underlying cause, always keeping in mind the spiritual component of self. 
So most often we are addressing underlying health concerns like imbalances within the gut, nutrient deficiencies, uh, in endocrine imbalances and so on and so forth. And then in conjunction to that, depending on the overall picture, we're working on supporting the nervous system, whether that means soothing, nourishing, or replenishing the nervous system. And I always love to use acupuncture for emotional concerns because it helps to move the energy through the body while we're working on establishing the foundations for emotional resilience lifestyle changes and spiritual practices to really address the totality of the self. So just for the sake of today's episode, for those of you who know definitely that your situation boils down to a more minor life stressor, you can implement some of the tips that I'm going to cover with you while working with a professional. So the first thing is to begin to view your emotions as messengers and signals that are helping you to meet a basic need. So if you're feeling down and through various practices have established the capacity to work through your current state, you can begin to ask yourself, which of my basic human needs is currently unmet and being triggered by this situation. And obviously you would have to know what the situation is. And what I find most often is that people have a really difficult time pinpointing what has triggered them in the first place, because it's often an accumulation of minor little things that they've seen throughout their day. So this is just for those of you who have been working on yourself enough to have that level of recognition and know exactly what the trigger was. And then from there, everyone can implement this next step. You can begin to observe your emotional state without judgment and instead begin to witness it with a lot of self-compassion as a means of making peace with the emotion. And a great way to do this is with the use of mindfulness, which is Paying attention on purpose. That's the easiest way that I can think of describing mindfulness. So you begin to pay attention to your present state without trying to control or fix it. And next is to take a preventative medicine approach by dedicating yourself to your personal growth as a means to cultivate more and more emotional resilience. Because if you guys remember at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that Episodes of depression and anxiety are a natural part of human life, but the key difference is your ability to effectively bounce back from these painful experiences of life that trigger deep feelings of sadness, isolation, and grief. Instead of allowing them to become a part of your day-to-day life simply because you don't have the tools or skill set to move past them. And I did actually have a few more specific tools that I wanted to share with you guys today, but I decided that instead of rushing through them, I will definitely come back and create a separate episode on this whole idea of moving through various emotional states as we experience them in life. So this way we don't have to rush through them and we can take a more focused, detailed approach in a future episode. And then at the same time, you guys have time to integrate the information from today's topic as well. And in place of our episode prompts. I actually have some resources for you guys that I will link in the show notes. And one in particular is a link to a depression inventory on my website that you guys can download as a starting point. So in the show notes, you will find the link to the depression inventory, the symptom list that we covered in terms of diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder and dysthymia, and then also the citation for the research paper that I referenced in today's episode as well. And as always, I really hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode and that you found it informative 
and enlightening in many different ways because I do truly believe that the first best step to anything is really education and opening the mind so that we can begin to take a more empowered stance not only in our health but our own personal growth and evolution so I know that this is a really big topic and something that if you aren't personally experiencing yourself or have experienced in the past you definitely will know someone in your life that is potentially living a a life that is deeply shadowed by this cast and cloud of depression so if you think that they would benefit from today's episode feel free to share it with them and then obviously they can if they feel inspired uh take the next steps in terms of getting adequate help and finding the underlying root cause of their particular concern so i wish you guys a beautiful rest of your week and i will connect with you in a future episode